Amen. Thank you, choir. Would you please open your Bible to Genesis chapter 15. Thank you. Genesis 15. As we continue our series looking at the life of Abraham and Sarah. Now ever since Abram and Sarai left their hometown for the promised land, as God had directed, they had stepped from one crisis into another. There was a famine. There was a run-in with Pharaoh down in Egypt. There were problems with, uh, with their nephew that got so out of hand that eventually Abram had to say to Lot, why don't you go that way and we'll go the other way? Then in chapter 14, which we're going to sort of do a flyby today, but in chapter 14, Abram has to form a war party, a, a posse, if you will, to go and rescue Lot because a neighboring uh, king had stolen Lot's property in, in Sodom and had taken Lot and his family hostage and rode off with them. And so Abram has to form this group and they go in and they rescue Lot and try to set things right. And by the time we get to chapter 15, Abram is wiped out. Some time has passed, but he's exhausted. I, I imagine he's there in his tent one night, dwelling on all that's happened. And you know when things are, are bad in your life and you only think about the low points, it crowds out all the good things that have happened. And, and in Abram's case, all of those high points of walking by faith with God have been crowded out. He's thinking of only the low points. It's the end of another long, hot day, and he's thinking crisis after crisis. If this is what God meant by blessing me and me being a blessing, then forget it. I don't want to have anything to do with it. And that's where we set up uh, after these things here. Genesis 15, 1-6. Listen now to God's word. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my household is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring. And a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord. And he counted it to him as righteousness. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Oh, Lord God, there's no way to exaggerate the importance of these last words in verse 6. All of the gospel hangs in the balance, hangs on every word here and and the model of Abram and, and Sarai walking by faith. And so, God, would you, 
Would you do that good work in us now? Holy Spirit, I know that you're present, you're moving in this place, so would you move in our hearts and grab a hold and give us the encouragement that we need, the word that we need today, that we would step out in belief. Amen. The Holy Spirit interrupts Abram's sulking and speaks directly to him. Fear not, Abram. I haven't forgotten you. I am your shield. I am your very great reward. What reassuring words. What a a reassurance. The Spirit of God is, is saying to him, Abram, I've got your back. I've gotten you this far. I haven't forgotten you. I've never left you. I'm going to get you all the way. And he says, and I am your very great reward. Now, those words are incredibly significant given what happens in chapter 14. Look there with me for just a moment. Remember I told you that, that Abram had to form a war party and go in and rescue his, his nephew Lot. And after uh, this great battle, and he rescues his nephew and his nephew's family, and Abram then, oh, choir, you need some light, don't you? You're okay? I see hand, they're shaking, they're okay. All right. Uh, after forming this war party and rescuing them, Abram is there before the court of Sodom and, and all the dignitaries, and he gives a tithe, 10% of all of his wealth, he gives it to Melchizedek, the high priest of the living God. And then this incredible scene happens. He, he turns to the king of Sodom, and the king of Sodom offers him a reward for freeing everybody. Now think about those hikers that were just released from, from Iran, and, and there was a, uh, a penalty there was a payoff. I don't know who paid that money, but someone paid to have those two hikers from Iran released and rejoin with their family. And uh, that's how our world works. And in this world, the way things work is someone gets paid for their good work. And so the king of Sodom offers Abram this reward, but Abram doesn't take it. Now, remember what happened when he went down to Egypt and he lied to Pharaoh about his relationship with Sarai. And do you remember the Pharaoh rewarded Abram and gave him money and property, and, or not property, gave him money and possessions and servants and animals? And Abram took all of that ill-gotten gain with him back to the promised land. And that caused all the problems with Lot. Well, here, before all of the royal court, Abram says, no, I don't want anything from the king of Sodom. And he says these words in Genesis 15, 22 to 23. I have lifted my hand to the Lord, God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, that I would not take a thread or a sandal strap or anything that is yours, king of Sodom, lest you should say I have made Abram rich. That's incredible compared to what we know of him to this point. You know, when you start walking by faith, sometimes it becomes second nature. You don't even realize that you're in step with the Holy Spirit. Abram's generosity, his trusting of God is here becoming second nature. And the living God says to him in that moment, fear not, I am your very great reward, Abram. I am. The great gift 
The great reward of faith is a relationship with God. There's no greater reward than that, and Abram is starting to learn that lesson. But now here, there's something more. God knows Abram better than he knows himself. He says, fear not, Abram. Now, what does Abram have to fear? He's already led a successful war party. The battle's won. What does he have to fear? You know, sometimes the battles that we fight, that wage, happen in our hearts and not out for everyone to see. And Abram is wrestling and battling in his spirit. And he has a question, really a complaint for the Lord here in these verses. And, and I'll try to summarize what he's saying. He's saying, thank you, Lord. I'm not afraid knowing that you're with me, but, but Lord, remember you said when I left or that you would make me into a great nation. And near Shechem, you said that you would give this land to me and to my descendants, and that between Bethel and Ai, where I built an altar, you told me, Lord, that my children would number like the dust of the earth. Well, God, Sarai and I have been trying to have children for decades, and we can't. Now I'm, I'm an old man. I'll never have a son. And I don't understand it. So I think, Lord, I think that what you're trying to tell me, the best that I can come up with, is that I'm to make my servant Eleazar my heir. Is that the plan? Is that what you want me to do? You see, in, in Abram's culture, a childless man could adopt someone uh, to be an heir of his estate as compensation for loyal service. So this isn't out of balance with what Abram knows, but he's, he's seeking the Lord's insight for this long expectant promise. The Lord knows. He knows the fear that Abram and Sarai share. He knows the fears that you keep inside. And, and here Yahweh speaks in this vision and says in verse 4 and 5, This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And then he takes him outside and he says, Count the stars of the night sky, Abram. So shall your descendants be. Do you see how, as we've looked at these weeks, how, how the Lord gets more and more precise and, and so then the, the expectations of the promise the heighten so much more. And here he's saying, a son, your very own son, will be your heir. Now how is Abram going to respond? There are a couple of different things that he could possibly do. He could say, oh yeah, sure, you betcha. Sorry, that's a little Minnesota. Still, still in my... <coughs> still in my... He could go back to the tent and say, yeah, sure, fine, I've, I've heard these promises before. He could say, uh, I give up. Let's pack up the tent. We're heading out. He, he, could, he could do all sorts of things. But what does he do? Look at verse 6. It simply says, Abram believed the Lord, and the Lord credited it to him as righteousness. Now listen, there is no way to exaggerate the importance of this verse. 
So let's try to unpack the, this theologically loaded expression, these, these words, this sentence, a few lines at a time because it's so significant. The Bible says, Abram believed the Lord. The Hebrew word for believe is amin. It's where we get the word amen. And we're listening. Great. It means to put your weight on something. It means uh, to believe that something is secure. To amin is to say, this is true. This is reliable. This is binding on my life. When a Hebrew said amin, like to a contract, it says, this constitutes a binding claim on my life. Last week, Cheryl and I went to Jonathan's school at Gibbs uh, for back-to-school night, and his wonderful teacher, uh, Mrs. Remsen, was there with all of the parents sitting in the little chairs, and she's telling us about all of her exciting plans for the students. And I couldn't help but notice that on her desk, there's a sign that says, I believe in you. That's really reassuring as a parent to know that a teacher would have a sign like that trying to express to the kids, I believe in you. Now those words would be hollow if that's all the sign represented, but it represents so much more. It represents all that Mrs. Remsen is going to do. It, it, she's saying, I'm putting my weight here. I am your teacher. It's binding on me. I'm going to teach your children. I'm going to partner with you parents. That's what, that's what Abram said here. To believe God is to say amen to God. It's to take God at his word. It's to say, God, you are true. Can I hear an amen? amen. Come on, Niels Dahl. It's to say, you are true. Amen. You are sure. Amen. You are reliable. I can put my weight on you without any physical evidence. There's no way to exaggerate the importance of this one sentence. So let me say it again. Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. The Apostle Paul grounds his entire understanding and ours of Christianity on this one sentence. It gets to the most fundamental question of our faith, of all of life. If you were to die tonight... And stand before God. And God asked you, why should I allow you to enjoy eternity in heaven with me and my son in my big backyard? What would you say? Forget $64,000. That is the priceless question. On what basis can I have a relationship with the living God? Answer? We are justified, we get right with God by faith alone. We are acquitted of our crimes in his court. We are forgiven of our sins. We are declared righteous by having the righteousness of Christ imputed to us and our sins imputed to him. And I know I talk fast, but we've got 20, 30 years for you to hear that message every single Sunday justified a singular act in which god declares an unrighteous individual righteous because of the work of jesus what that does not mean is it does not mean that we are made right with god by striving to be the best person there is by striving to do god's will by by trying harder 
to be righteous, to be the best neighbor, to be the best grandparent, to be the best second grade teacher. No. The Bible teaches that we were counted as right with God while we were still lost, while we were still sinners. That's the gospel. That's grace. Justified by faith alone means you don't have to jump through any hoops. In your work life, in your family life, do you feel like you have to jump through hoops? Do you have to meet other people's expectations? You have to measure up, not with God, not in his family. And it's established, it's, it's predicated, it's built upon Genesis 15, verse 6. That's the gospel. Now the facts are, this promise doesn't seem very likely. The things that you can see, the things that Abram and Sarai knew to be sure was that it was very unlikely this could ever happen. Abram and Sarai had been trying to have a child for many, many years. They're very old. I mean, they are really, really old. When the Lord comes and says, I can do the impossible, that your son will come from your own body. No infertility treatments, no clinics, nothing. Just shamans and and elixirs, nothing else. Nothing would tell Abram and Sarai that this could happen. Which tells me this. Biblical faith, biblical faith, listen, never closes our eyes to the facts. We're not blindly just believing like some Broadway show about belief. No, no. That's not Christian faith. Biblical faith, Christian faith, takes into consideration all of the facts. But listen, it puts the facts in their proper order. And the fact is, the God of the universe, the creator, has made a promise to Abram. To say amen is to make a claim on God. Say, God, I believe that you're true and reliable. What claim does God make on you? Just turn it around for a moment. What is the the one thing that God asks of you? We discover right here in this text that there is only one claim that God makes. Only one. There's only one thing that God requires, and that is this. That we believe. That we trust. That we say yes to God. No hoops. You bring all of yourself messed up as you are with all of your questions and all of your faults and foibles and all of your mistakes and and all of your uncertainties. You bring all of yourself and you say, I believe. And God says, I will write it up, ring it up, and you and I will be okay. No more debt. That's the gospel. That's what it means to be justified by faith alone. Do you believe it? Do you? Most people do not. In fact, far too many who say they believe the gospel really do not believe the gospel. Most professing Christians assume that they're made right by their good deeds, by their service. I'm signing up at Rally Day. 
I got more, I got my name on every sheet. By our acts of service, by our religious performance, by the infrequency of committing big sins, righteousness has nothing to do with my performance. It has everything to do with taking God at God's word. All God asks of us is what he asks of Abram, to trust him. Now, I told you that Paul builds everything that we know about Christianity on these words. So turn with me, if you will, to Romans chapter 4. Romans 4, verse 23 and following. And he's talking about Abram, and he's talking about being justified by faith. And he says this. Now, the words... It was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone. Now, what's Paul doing here? Paul's being a pastor. He's looking at his text, which are the Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament. He's looking at Genesis 15, 16. And he's explaining it as I try to explain, and Pastor Annie tries to explain on Sundays. He says, But the words, it was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. See how it all fits in? And then, and only then, out of a heart of, of gratitude, out of an indwelling of, of affections that grow in our heart, then we respond with the works of faith, with the good deeds that God calls us to do. That's the point that James the Apostle makes in his little letter in chapter 2, verse 20. Uh, Eugene Pearson puts it this way in the message, professing to believe, but then complacently sitting back is less than shallow faith. If I ask you, do you believe, and you say, yes, I do, and then I ask you, well, tell me about your day-to-day walk, and you you tell me that basically life kind of revolves around me. I, and I don't serve. And I don't engage. And I'm fearful of things that are out there in the world. And I'm kind of self-centered. Then, and when I come back around to the question of discipleship, I'll have to say, I don't know what you mean. James says that even the devil and the demons have that kind of head knowledge belief. And when Paul uses the word works in Romans 4, he means works that are done to try to earn God's affection, like praying five times a day, or going to Mass, or trying to earn it by service in the church. Those are forms of works righteousness. And James would agree you can never earn God's favor by performing, but when God's performed a work of grace in your life, you can't help it. You can't help but want to serve. You can't help but want to spend more time with him. And now Abram knows that his reward is far bigger than some temporal blessing of God. He says to the king, I I don't need your money because I have a relationship with the living God himself. He looks at all the facts and says yes to God's character, yes to God's power. And we know he meant it because of what he does at another altar on Mount Moriah. But that's for another Sunday. Let me ask you a couple of concluding questions. 
Whose approval are you looking for? God says, in Jesus Christ, my son, I approve you. I count you as righteous. I love you as my holy child. How should this affect our feelings about the approval or criticism of others because of our faith? I'll tell you, it should make us free from fear, free from people-pleasing, free from needing the approval of others by our performance, and free to love and to serve with joy. Free to forget about ourselves and be thrilled with God. Free to step out of the spotlight and serve behind the scenes. You know, no need for a feather or a star. We, we outgrew that in second grade. We don't need a star. We don't need a badge. Look at me, a super Christian. We don't need that. We can humbly go about our life looking for ways to serve, to grow, and to be generous with all that God has given to us. What's amazing to me is that Abram took the step of faith knowing so little of who God is. And we know so much. We know the promised seed. We're on this side of the cross. We're on this side of the empty tomb. And yet, we still need to hear the gospel again and again. It's not about our performance. Acts 6, 31 Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. What pleases God is nothing more or less than trusting Jesus. And Jesus prefaces his commands with words like, I tell you the truth, or truly, truly, I say to you, or take it from me, or verily, verily, I say unto thee. It's the words in our call to worship that he says to the to the criminal hanging on the cross next to him, has he done anything to deserve what he's about to receive? No. Jesus says all these things, but literally the words are, amen, amen. What I am about to say is true. You can put your weight on it. It puts a claim on your life. And Jesus continues to ask of every human being one thing. Come to me. Follow me. Lose your life for me. And given who he is, it would be crazy not to. It would be crazy not to come and to follow and to lose our life for who he is. Can you take him at his word? Because Jesus is as good as his word. Amen. Let's pray.